don't go to church, we are the church. You have been filled with the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. You have overcoming power from heaven living inside of you. Who are we? All right, well, Crossing, we are wrapping up our series, um, We Are the Church. And I'm just going to start out by saying I love that we have grace because I do not have my remote to change the slides. So uh, if uh, <laughs> Cody, if you're listening in the back and you happen to know where it is, that would be awesome. If not, uh, it's okay. We'll get it figured out. But um, I have a vision for the church that when service is over, you stay in the room. That when uh, the check is paid, you stay at the table. And that when the tears stop flowing, you keep on hugging. And I wonder if, if anyone is interested in that type of intimacy. See, according to a recent Harvard study, one in three believe that they have needs in their life and no one to meet them, that they have hurts to share and no one to listen to them, and that they have love to give and no one to receive it. One in three is missing something very significant in their life. And it's a core group of, of, of an intimate relationship to spiritually support. Thank you so much, Cody. <laughs> I love this guy. I was, I was literally at the first slide, too. But uh, look at this. Look at this statistic. 36% of Americans endure ongoing feelings of loneliness, isolation, and longing to love and to be loved. 36%. More than one in three is missing something relationally. And God, he didn't intend for it to be that way. So this morning, I want to go all the way back to the very beginning of God's word, Genesis 1.1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And the light was good. And he created day and night. And, and he created land and water. And he said, it was good. And then God created the stars and the planets, and God created the plants and the fish and the birds, and he said it was good. And then God said something was not good. After creating man with no one to celebrate with, no one to cry with, no one to laugh with, no one to enjoy life with, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And God said, I will make a helper who is just right for him. So guys, if you're sitting next to your wife, look at her and tell her, you're just right for me. You're just right for me. If you are a middle school or high school boy, do not start looking at the girls going, oh, this is a good pickup line. Don't do it. Don't do it. Doesn't work. But verse 22 of Genesis 2 says, the Lord God made woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. I mean, do you know how God came up with the name woman? See, he, he brought Eve to Adam, and Adam went, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah, at least that's what I do when I look at my wife. Okay, I'm trying to earn points. I'm in the doghouse. I'm trying, I'm trying. But Adam's sitting there like, he's like, 
hallelujah. I've been tired of looking at the porcupine and the zebra and the chipmunks. They're cute, but they're nuts, man. It's crazy. And, and, and so with all of that, I, I want to show you what God said before that, before God created Adam and Eve. And it says in Genesis 126, then God said, let, what's that word? Us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Notice, God didn't say, let me make mankind in my image and my likeness. He said, us and our. He used a plural pronoun. My English teacher would be happy that I know that. A plural pronoun more than once. And now it's so tough for us to get our minds wrapped around this, but God himself is never alone. God himself is never alone. God, the being God, is actually a perfect community within himself, made up of the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he is one. It's the mystery of the Trinity. Our God is one, yet God is three. He is one being, yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So why did this community, this God, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, why did he create man? See, he didn't create us because he was lonely. God in and of himself from eternity past to eternity future is sufficient in himself, perfectly sufficient in himself. He doesn't need us, but God created us because he is love. He's a community. He wasn't lonely. He created man because he is love. And love isn't just what God does. Love is who God is. And he created you and he created I to know him and to love him and to be loved by him. And that's why when when someone asked Jesus, hey, what's the most important thing? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love the person sitting next to you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the early church, after Jesus gave his life and God rose him from the dead, they understood this. They embraced this community, and it was an essential part of who they were. It actually says in Acts 2.46, they worshiped together at the temple, how often? Every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Every day. It wasn't just for the 9.30 or 11 o'clock service. It wasn't when the weather's not bad enough that I wake up and look outside and go, "Eh, I'm not going. It wasn't when they were like not tired from staying up the night before. And it wasn't when they didn't have family in town. It was every day. Every day they met together at the temple courts. They opened up their houses to one another and broke bread to one another. And they had communion, remembering what Jesus Christ did together. And they had glad and sincere hearts and were praising God and enjoying the community of the body of Christ. Every day, these crazy Jesus followers met together. But it wasn't, just, it wasn't just like a physical proximity. This was like an emotional unity. Why did they meet together every single day? Because they needed each other. You know, back then, it's, it's not like it is today. Today, it's pretty easy. You know, there's no problems. There's no tension. There's no, like, 
people that we don't really get along with or people that don't agree with what we believe and like the economy is always good. Like it's easy today, right? Okay, now I'm worried that you guys aren't picking up on sarcasm, okay? All right. But back then, like there was a spiritual battle. There was the, the prince of darkness that was coming against the people of God. Back then, they got persecuted for their faith. People got sick and they needed prayer and, and they were hurting people and they needed each other and they didn't want to go alone through this life and sharing Jesus with one another without each other or people that they knew that they could love. And the body of Christ was what they needed in a world that so desperately needed Jesus. No one back then said, oh great, it's Tuesday. We got to go to life group. No. No. They went with glad and sincere hearts. And here, right here, this is the fundamental difference between the first century Christians and the believers today. You ready for this? The first century believers desperately needed each other, and they knew it. And believers today desperately need each other, but we've forgotten it. They couldn't be spiritually strong and victorious and, and close to God and overcoming temptations and, and going through persecution and, and have the strength to be a light in a world that so desperately needed it without each other. And they knew it. And it is exactly the same today. We've just forgotten it. There was a, a mental health expert that explained it, and they, they said it this way, today, on purpose, intentionally, most people are seeking autonomy and they're seeking independence, meaning I don't want to rely on anyone. I don't want to have to rely on anyone. And in many ways, people are trying to design a life without the fear or the risk of intimacy. And so we just observe our friends on our phone and we like scroll, 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 double tap, double tap, scroll, 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 double tap. Ooh, I don't like that post. Scroll, 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 double tap. And that's, that's our way of communicating with people. And, and we shop online, and we bank online, and, and we have friends online, and we watch sermons online. And even, even when we do have to go in person to the store, and there's not a grocery pickup available, and we have to go, we walk through with our head down saying, please don't look at me. And you, you look down the aisle and you're like, I know them. Do I really have time to go down there? They're kind of weird. I don't know if I really want to talk to them. Am I the only one that does that? <laughs> I'm guessing by the, by the laughs, probably not. But we avoid any interaction with others. And this counselor, they said, people are intentionally pursuing a life that destroys their mental health and robs them of real joy and lasting fulfillment. And here's the thing. God did not intend for it to be that way. Many of you know uh, my wife's and my story of our interrupted adoption that we had with our daughter, Harper. We brought her home from the hospital, and uh, we had her at home for three days, and then the birth mom actually changed her mind, and, and she had every right to do so, and so she changed her mind, and we had to give Harper back, um, and that time when we didn't have Harper was so full of pain and grief unlike anything I have ever experienced in my life, but looking back, here's something that I noticed 
during that situation. And please, I need you guys to know this. I am not complaining at all. I am simply observing how people today show love, okay? That's what I'm doing. So turn to your neighbor and say, he's not complaining. I need to make sure you guys know. I'm not, I only heard one person do it. I'm serious. Tell them I'm not complaining. I need you to know and understand. I am not at all complaining. I am simply observing how people today show love in what we would call like a relational economy, okay? We had hundreds of people comment on social media saying they're praying for us, and I'm sure they all prayed for us, and that was amazing, and that was so great to see. We received probably between the two of us 50 to 100 texts and like direct messages from people that were joining in our grief with us. And that was amazing to feel that connection. And, and we even had some people send us meals because they're like, you don't need to worry about food right now. You need to grieve. And so they sent us meals. We received a, a couple of phone calls where we physically heard someone else's voice. And then we had just a couple of people that physically came over to our house to love on us in our grief. And even that was a little awkward. Let me, let me just give you a quick snapshot. I'm sitting on our couch right next to the armrest. Shreya's right next to me, and we're hugging each other, and we're just crying, and Cody and Molly most come over. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Molly sits next to Shreya, and she hugs her, and she's crying, and she kind of taps me on the shoulder, and Cody's like, where do I go? <laughs> and so Cody just goes, well puts his arms out and falls on top of us just to give us this great big hug. And I, I love Cody for that because it was just like, it was so great because he wanted that connection. He saw the need for that connection and he said, I don't care how awkward or weird this is. It was a little weird, Cody, but it, he did it. And it was, and it was incredible. And, and please hear me one more time. I am not complaining. We felt so loved and, and cared for when we were going through that time. I would have done the same thing. In fact, I did do the same thing. This past week, there was someone in our church who fell, they broke their arm, and they had to get surgery. And I, I texted them, and then after their surgery, I texted and I tried to call them. And then there was another family that went through this terrible, terrible tragedy, and I texted them multiple times, and I, and I called their son. That was how I reached out. So, so I am not at all critiquing anybody. So please do not think that. I am simply just observing how people today show love. But here's something to consider. In almost every interaction in Shreya's and my situation, almost every interaction was void of personal voice or personal presence. And you just gotta think, is that what God intended for community? I love technology, and it has helped us do phenomenal things. But has it caused us to walk away from community the way that God intended it? That's why I said at the beginning, I have a vision for a church that when the service is over, you stay in the room. That when the check is paid, you stay at the table. And when the tears, they stop flowing, you keep on hugging, even if it's an awkward hug. But that's not ever going to happen by accident. 
You're never going to wake up one morning and go, wow, how did I get this many close friends? Like, I've been trying to avoid people. What in the world? Like, it's not going to happen by accident. This is something we need to be intentional about because I believe that this is what God wants for every single one of us. And at the Crossing Fellowship, we call them life groups. And I'm proposing that not just one in three people needs this, that every single person needs this type of community and this type of fellowship. And I know what you're thinking, especially you introverts. Once I said life group, you're like, that sounds like death. But everyone, even the extroverts are probably thinking, I don't really want to go and share my struggles with people. I really got to go and share this stuff with them. Like, eh. But just to get it out there, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be weird people there. And if you're in a life group and you're sitting here thinking like, hmm, our group doesn't have weird people, you're the weird one, okay? (laughs) But that's part of it. It's part of being a family and community and connection. It's hard at times. It's messy at times. But it is so, so necessary. And so I just want to maybe, maybe push you just a little bit this morning because this is essential for every healthy Jesus follower to experience. So I'm going to tell you three things that are going to be part of a Jesus-honoring life group. So life group leaders, if you're here and you're in a life group, take note and make changes if you need to. If you're not here, or or if you're not here, that'd be weird. If you're here and you're not in a life group, then this is what I would hope you would find in one. The first thing is, it's a gathering of grace. A gathering of grace. I like how Paul said it in Philippians 1.7. He said, you have a permanent place in my heart. You've remained partners with me in the wonderful grace of God. So you get together with some broken people, and and what you're going to find is that it's a safe place to belong and to believe and a safe place to come. Sheree and I, we were actually, uh, we were in a life group before we moved here that that exemplified this perfectly. You see, we moved to this this church during a really rough part of our marriage, and we kind of went to this church because we wanted to hide. We just wanted to, like, be there and hide, but there were some people who were really good at getting us connected, and so God used those people to get us in a life group. And the first meeting was terribly awkward. I'm talking, like, eight to ten of us sitting in someone else's basement, and I'm the only extrovert. And it was worse than pulling teeth to get people to talk. And it was so awkward. We left that night and we're like, is this going to work? I don't know. But we kept meeting. And it kept being awkward. But we kept meeting. And it kept being awkward, but it was a little less awkward. And we kept meeting until finally one couple slowly started to open up. Not, Not a lot, but just enough to say, hey, we've got some stuff going on. Which led Shreya and I to get to a point where we're like, hey, you know, we have some stuff going on too. Which led another guy in our group to to all of a sudden say, you know, I've got some stuff going on too. And before we knew it, we were all sitting there in someone else's basement realizing these people are just as screwed up as I am. 
Here's the thing. I don't care what your stuff is, what your issue is. There's people just like you. And right now, the devil is telling you and he's whispering in your ear saying, hey, they'll accept them, but they're not going to accept you. Hey, your stuff, your stuff is pretty extreme. They're not going to accept you. They're not going to love you. They're not going to show grace to you. They'll show it to other people, but not you. And that's because he's trying to get you to isolate. You're going to walk in with your own version of something. We all do. Every single one of us. And you you are welcome. You're welcome with your questions. You're welcome with your doubts. You're welcome with your hurts, with your addictions, with your struggles, with your depression, with your anxiety. You are welcome. And that's why it's a gathering of grace, because you realize that everyone there is kind of broken too, and it's not just you. A Jesus-honoring life group is a gathering of grace, but it's also a gathering of healing, a gathering of healing. See, we're in a society today where we're told to carry our grief, carry our pain, hide our struggles, and, and, and tuck them away so that no one else sees or knows that we're struggling. And when people look at us, we got to go, oh, I'm strong. I, I got nothing wrong. I, I can do this. And we're carrying it, and it wears us down and wears us down, and it causes us to try and self-heal and try and figure things out on our own. But when we try and self-heal, it usually leads to some type of sinful pattern that we end up just repeatedly going back to, and it adds more and more grief and more and more stress and more and more pain that we're not allowed to show. So we carry it, and it wears us down and wears us down and breaks us down, and it's this vicious cycle. And even if you don't feel like you need healing, you live in a sinful world, you need healing. Every single one of us needs healing. And even if you don't feel like you need healing, you need it. A lot of times people think, well, well, God does everything, right? Like, like, like I've got God, I can just take my stuff to him and he can heal me. But the way that God created us, God does a lot, but God does a lot through his people. See, it says in James 5, 16, confess your sins to who? Whoa, we got to try that again. Confess your sins to who? One another. And pray for who? Each other. So that you may be healed. So you come into this gathering of grace and then there's this place of healing where you pray for one another and and somehow God loves you and meets your needs and God heals you through his people. I'm currently part of a, a group that's called Regeneration or Regen. And what we're doing is we're going through these steps that allow us to dig up all of this stuff that we've been hiding in our hearts and hiding in our lives for such a long time and allow our hearts to be healed. It's hard work. It's tough to look at your past and the things that that I've done to hurt others, to hurt myself, the ways that I've sinned against God. It's humbling to do and to go through, but it is well worth it. And actually, we're going to start another group uh, in the fall um, because it's just like process that you kind of go through, but we're going to start another group uh, in the fall, and I want every single person to go through it because it's awful and it's terrible, and you're like, wow, this is great, but, it's, but it is so healing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you why it's so healing. 
I want to share with you what one person said after going through one of the parts uh, called confession, which is basically James 5.16. And you're confessing to others what you've been holding on to in your heart for so long. And I got their permission to share this, but it says, hello, everybody. I want to take a few minutes to explain what I experienced today. I sat down with Steve and my mentor to go through confession and to break down my inventory. And we had a six-hour meeting today that I walked into with a tremendous amount of fear. I haven't experienced that kind of fear since I was a kid, but I pulled myself together and we got started and got through it. And as soon as I started talking, the first thought in my mind was a thought of judgment. But I told myself, these are my friends, and better yet, they're members of my family in Christ. And during our talk, I was able to come to a lot of powerful revelations that I never realized about myself before today. And after our meeting was over, I literally felt the weight lift off of me of all the sins and burdens that I've been carrying for so long. There is so much power and freedom in verbalizing the things that have been held up inside of me for so long. And as of right now, today I truly feel free. When I left Gothenburg, I came straight home and talked to my wife and I apologized to her. It was a really good talk and there's gonna be more open communication with her moving forward. But when we were done talking, I took the longest shower I've ever taken which if you knew this guy, you would say, good, you need a shower. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. But he said, I just stood there talking to God, asking him to wash me clean. It felt great to be able to finally shed all that guilt and shame off of me. So thank you all for being here for each other. And I'm asking for prayers for God's shield of protection to be wrapped around all of us. I know the spiritual warfare is soon to be headed our way, and Satan is not happy with what we're going through. I will definitely be keeping in my mind going forward to not pick up what I've already given to God. I need to leave it all laying behind me so I can keep moving forward. And this is how he ended it. He said, my name is, and I am a new creation in Christ. Yeah. And before I move on to, to the last one, I know that right now, the enemy is telling some of you, they're not going to show you grace. What you've done, eh, it's worse than what they've done. You've done too much to be healed. You know, that addiction that you've been hiding, it's lasted too long. You're, like, you're, you're a little too damaged. I don't know if it's going to work for you. They're not going to accept you. They're going to reject you. They won't want to be around you. You can't be healed like this. This may work for them, but it's not going to work for you. Don't try it. Don't go for it. And he's filling your head with these lies. And I know that it is the enemy because why in the world would God send his son for you to be healed if God was the one telling you that you can't be healed? Do you get this? Why would God be the one whispering in your ear saying, no, this isn't right for you. No, this isn't going to work for you. No, you're too far. No, you've done too much. But God sent his son so that you could experience healing. Why in the world would he do that if he's the one telling you, you don't need this? 
I know there's lifelong struggles. I know there's lifelong addiction. I know there's crime and illegal activity. I know there's awful, terrible things that we can't even face because we can't believe that we did them. And we can't look at ourselves in the mirror and we begin to like observe ourselves and look in our heart and we're getting told, you can't do it. It's not for you. It's not right for you. But it is. And there's all this shame and guilt and brokenness and thoughts that there's no hope for you. It's not going to work for you. Those people, they're different than you. They haven't done as bad a stuff as you. But the enemy is a master of deception, and he is trying to get you to isolate. And if God wanted you to be isolated, he wouldn't have created us to experience community with him. His word wouldn't say, confess your sins to one another. In fact, There's 59 verses in the New Testament that are verses that talk about one another. And God wouldn't say, do things with one another, if he's the one whispering in your ear saying, you don't need one another. Why would God do that? Why would God say things like, be devoted to one another? Why would he say, have concern for one another or carry one another's burdens? Why would he say, encourage each other and pray for each other and love each other deeply if you didn't need each other? So what you're being told right now, what you're hearing is all lies because we so desperately need the body of Christ. It's a gathering of grace. It's a gathering of healing. And it's a gathering of mission. Jesus wouldn't have said 59 times documented to be with one another if that wasn't part of the mission that he wanted us to be on. Our mission, and this is a test, Our mission as a church is to what? See people. Okay, good. You did better than Kozad. I asked it and they were all like, what's he saying? No. Our mission as a church is to see people meet, follow, and love Jesus. And we need one another if we want to see one another meet, follow, and love Jesus. You can't see people meet, follow, and love Jesus if you're not with people. It's carrying out the mission that Jesus gave. And so this morning, normally I would say something like, think about your family. You know, think about your workplace and your work environment. Think about your school and your classmates. Think about what a difference would be in your life and and the difference you would make in the lives of others if you embraced this community, this grace-filled community, this way of healing your heart that God designed because he designed us to be together. Imagine, just imagine what your life would look like if we embraced this, how lives would be changed and transformed and people would be reached and strongholds would be torn down and broken and peace would finally come. And it would change our lives forever. See, normally I would say that, but this morning I'm not going to do that. Today, I want to talk with just you. It's just you and me. Because so many of you know that God, he's got something better planned for you than what you're experiencing right now. That God wants 
for you to experience a grace-filled community where healing takes place. And you know that. And so, for you, I want to ask that maybe you take a step of faith or call it a risk and get out of your little world and love somebody the way that God has loved you. Even if you're sitting here still thinking, well, I don't need it. I'm not sure it's going to work for me. I don't need it. It's not for me. Then do it for someone else who needs you to love them the way that God loves. If you think you're not in need, then be there for someone who is in need. And maybe, just maybe, you'll come to realize that we're all in need. Maybe you need to lay down your pride and admit that we all do have needs. We all have struggles. We're all trying our best to navigate this life, but none of us are perfect. There's bumps in the road. There's things we're going to experience. And so maybe you need to lay down your pride and allow people to love you where you're at. And this, this is for everybody, but this section right here is specifically for the men. It's okay to not be okay. And that doesn't mean you're not a man. That doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean you're broken. It means that you're human. Quit with your pride and realize that God wants us to carry one another's burdens, not bear them on our own. My goodness, from working in student ministry for like eight years, there are so many students and kids today that are all confused because there's been generation after generation that's been taught that men need to not show emotion, men need to be the one to carry everything for their family, and men cannot and should not ever cry, especially in public. And then as the kids grow up, they watch their dad or they watch their grandpa or the, the father figure, and they see no emotion, and they see no asking for help. And they'll even see a death in the family, but the, but the father figure doesn't show any type of emotion because they don't want to show any weakness. And then as the kids get older and they feel emotion, they begin to think, something must be wrong with me because a, a real man doesn't feel this. And we wonder why there's so much confusion in the next generation. It's because we're trying to bear things and carry them all on our own, not the way that God intended it to be. And so men, fathers, grandfathers, uncles, father figures, we need to show the next generation that emotion and depending on others to help and help them or let them help you carry your burdens, it's how it's supposed to work. It's how it's supposed to work. We are a body of Christ. And a body needs every part to function together. We are not designed to function alone. We are not designed to carry everything on our own. And it does not make you any less of a man when you need help, because we all need help. God created us for community, not isolation. Crossing, we are the church. We exist for the world. We exist for each other. We don't exist for ourselves. So let's love one another. Let's embrace community and allow God to use us to be his hands and feet to show love to those who are hurting and to help others experience grace and healing. And in turn, maybe, just, just maybe, 
we'll experience some grace and healing too. And so this morning, just practical steps, because if we don't do anything with this, there's no point to it. So super simple. If you are not in a life group, I want you to email. Email, that sounds old, but that's okay. Phillips at thecrossingfellowship.com or you can text your name. Please include your name because if I don't have your number, somebody will say, I want to be in a life group and I'll be like, great, who is this? Tell me your name. This is my number and I know some of you are like, 785, it's a Kansas number. I never changed it, but I promise you, this isn't a scam. This is my cell number, okay? If you're not in a life group, and you want to be connected, you want to experience this type of community that every Jesus follower needs, tell me, and we will get you connected, okay? If you are in a life group, sit down with your group this week. Take a break from whatever current study you're doing or going through and ask each other, what do we need to do and what do we need to change to make our life group like this? It's not a jab at the leader or anybody else that's in it if you need to change one thing or if you need to change everything. It's not a jab at anybody. But sit and talk about what you can do as a group to make your life group a gathering of grace, a gathering of healing, and a gathering that's on mission to what God set us up for. So let's be the church. Let's be a place where grace Healing and missional fellowship happen each and every day. Would you pray with me? Dear God, just thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to make a way for us to be made right with you, to be able to be in a relationship with you. God, we don't deserve the breath that we are breathing right now, but you and your grace and your love give us life. So help us, God, to live our lives the way that you intended for us to, in community and fellowship with one another. God, humble us. Please, take away our pride if that's what's keeping us from reaching out. And help us to rely on you, but to rely on the body of Christ to carry the burdens that we all bear. Thank you so much for loving us and for providing a way for us to be with you. And just help us, God, to live our life for you and to bring you glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name.